Welcome to the Tim Fowler Show, where production is paramount and we discuss the tools, time, and people associated with getting jobs done and making a profit. On today's episode of the Tim Fowler Show, we will be talking about remodeling and historic restoration with the help of special guest Walter Beebe Center of Essex Restoration in Boston, Massachusetts. Alongside Tim Fowler, I'm your co-host Steve Wheeler. Here is the Tim Fowler Show. Hey everyone out there, Tim Fowler here and welcome to the Tim Fowler Show. Today we're tackling a fun topic that I used to absolutely dread. And that is getting involved in a project that has to be historically accurate or is being put back exactly the way it was built however many years ago. I remember so clearly as a production manager in the DC area, which of course has a lot of historical properties in it, a salesperson coming back to us and saying, hey, I'm looking at a project near DuPont Circle, one of the old brownstones. And my first question was, is the hysterical commission involved? <laughs> and uh, that was just our funny way of, of just, just trying to get past the idea that somebody else was going to be telling us what we had to do on this project. And, and so... I, it was always a challenge for us, and there are many people that uh, really like doing this. So I thought it would be a lot of fun to have one of these crazy people on and, uh, and maybe challenge at least my preconceived notions about this type of work and maybe even uh, spark some interest for some of us in getting involved in some of this stuff if there's a way that it, it really uh, works for us. So. A while back, and I don't know, it's been 10 or 12 years now, I was actually at our guest's office in their shop, and they were working on a building in downtown Boston, and they had removed all the windows, boarded them up, and brought all the windows out to their shop, and they were actually recutting trim. Uh, they had an amazing assortment of uh, cutter heads for that. But I'll tell you what impressed me the most is they had a woman there who was reglazing all the windows and it was magic to see her work. And now I've reglazed a few windows in my life there. There it's again, one of those things I don't do very well, but it was like magic watching her do this. And and then just recently I got back from a trip to Lexington, Virginia, talking to a contractor there. And they were talking about uh, a building that they had done that was historical. And they had removed Wayne's coating or Wayne's cotting, however you prefer to pronounce it, so that it could be reinstalled. And I was thinking about like all the Wayne's coating that I had removed that ended up in splinters because it wasn't going back in. And I went, how do you do that? How do you get it off so that it can be put back in? So. Let's get to talking about this historical renovation stuff. Yeah, Tim, I did a few projects myself in old Newcastle, Delaware. So I'm looking forward to talking to our next guest to see how it's done well. The uh, <laughs> Walter Beebe Center of Essex Restoration in Boston, Mass., 
Founded his company in 1994, they have been lucky enough to work on houses that were occupied by some famous people, Abigail Adams, John Greenleaf Whittier, Paul Revere, Josiah Quincy, Nathaniel Hawthorne, and Alexander Hamilton, just to name a few. Welcome to the show, Walter. Thanks for having me. Oh wow, I'm even more impressed now. I didn't realize <laughs> that's, uh, that's I, didn't, who's who. I didn't realize all that history in, in your world. So tell us a little bit about Essex Restoration. Like we, we know when it was founded. What what do you do? What volume are you doing? And and maybe just a little bit about your company. Sure. Yeah. It started small with me and a couple other guys, but now it's 15 people. Uh, Boston's a great market, uh, sure. as you can tell, with a lot of history and a lot of these buildings are still here. People and people love them, and so they want to they want to treat them right, and so they ask us to help them do it. Um, we uh, we're doing about four million a year, um, and the bulk of our work is whole house remodeling. Wow! Uh, so a new family will buy a a Victorian or a Colonial um, because they love that period, but right. they the the house may have been neglected for 20 years or 40 years or even 60 in some cases. Yeah. And so they'll ask us to bring it back, you know, if it's been remuddled, as they say, (laughs) and and fix some things that have been done wrong and and then also bring it forward um, so that it, uh, so it has 21st century wiring and plumbing in it and some data and alarms and things like that. Um, And then the other thing that's been coming on recently is, um, you know, how energy efficient can we make this old building? And that's right. a really fun challenge too. Yeah, that's got to be a real challenge because they were inherently very, very drafty and built in a way that uh, would make that challenging. So give us just a little more about that while we're on that topic. What, so, what kinds yeah, of things I, are you doing? Yeah, so the, so the, the you know, the, a lot of the old school people in our industry um, know that the draftiness of these old houses is in fact, what has helped them stay alive this long. Right. And uh, up in the Northeast in our climate, you know, we put in, we can put in insulation in, in, in a way that traps moisture and is actually worse for the building. Right. Um, and we've learned some lessons, you know, since the energy crisis, we've learned some lessons in that way. And, uh, and luckily we, I think we're, we're getting ahead of the curve finally and figuring out ways to, to do it right. But we, uh, it's a really fun challenge in terms of putting the new, the new equipment inside Right. Um, the most important of which is an energy recovery ventilator or a heat recovery ventilator. So if we tighten up this old house, the indoor air quality will be good. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So uh, again, in preparation for this, you you just mentioned the difference between renovation, preservation, and replication. Can you kind of give us some definitions there for sure. your kind of work? Happy to, because some of our clients, maybe 10 or 15% of our clients are museums. And what museums are into is preservation. Right, okay. Even if the thing is broken, for example, like like you were saying, we do a lot of windows. If, when we do when we do a job for um, historic New England, for, for example, they have a rule. If a pane of glass is broken, they'll ask us to weld it back together because preserving the original fabric of the building is what they're all about. Um, you know, that's their mission. And uh, so the rule for, for that particular client is if it's got two cracks or three pieces of glass, then we will weld it um, wow. with this special glue that, that uses uh, <laughs> uh, 
it's uh, I forget what it is, but uh, and it and the cracks actually disappear. They go away a little bit. You can see them if you look careful. Oh wow! wow. Yeah, it's yeah. It's a neat product. It's called Hextal. Um, but anyway, so so preservation of something old, and there are some hilarious examples. When I was an intern working at a house museum up in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, they had thirty house houses that were part of that museum. One of them had asbestos siding. We had to preserve the asbestos siding because that's <laughs> what it was when they got it. And that's their philosophy of preservation is we keep right. it exactly the way it was. The, okay. the, the problem with, in that industry, the problem with those clients in the museums is the roof. If okay. the roof leaks, the museum's no good. They've got a collection right. in there. So they're not, they're not, they let us put on a new roof, but everything else has to be saved. And wow. whether it's putting plexiglass over it so it's protected from the elements. Um, wow. Now the other one that you mentioned, um, replication. Yes. That would be, let me think of an example. Like, uh, uh, for example, the, the, the Mayflower, the ship, the Mayflower. Yes. It's gone. Someone's okay. got some evidence as what it looked like. So they put some plans together and someone made an identical object out of new material. Right. So that's replication. And we do that a lot, like with a front porch. Porch is gone, but we'll replicate it. And we'll use some, maybe an old photograph or some old plans. And if we've got nothing, we can use an example of that architectural style and and figure out what it most likely would have looked like. Oh, wow. And then, okay. And then replicate it. But then the, the now, now those are, those are, even though they sound crazier, those are actually <laughs> easier than renovation. Because okay. when you're working with a museum, the mission is very specific, very direct, and very well um, presented. It's save it no matter what the cost. Right. Now you're working with a homeowner who's bought a historic house. They love the old house, but they but cost is very important to them. And they're not going to do anything no matter what the cost. Everything right. has to be a compromise. And also with with the homes that we're redoing, we have to put a kitchen and a bathroom and whatnot in or back in. Um, and nobody wants an 18th century bathroom. Right. <laughs> you know what those look like. Right. Um, and nobody wants an 18th century kitchen. You know, back then they were they were cooking in the basement or they had a fire in the backyard. So so there's parts of these old houses that we're doing that are going to be preserved or are going to be replicated. Um, but then the renovation aspect of it is let's take this house and make some of it new. Make, right. okay. Let's make the plumbing new. If we've got old plumbing that's cracked and broken, if we've got wiring that's dangerous, let's take that out and put something new in to an old building and keep the charm of the old, but add the comfort and convenience of the new. So heating systems might have ducts, um, might have pipes. Um, you know, how do we do that? That's the fun part. That's the that's the hard part. And, <laughs> and, and it's different in every house. Sure. Um, and uh, and so we have to we have to also collaborate with the owner. How far do you want to take this? Right. You know, can we? And 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 a couple of the. I think I was thinking about this uh, as I was driving into work today and 
when we're when we're in the our typical project, which is a large house that um, that needs a lot of work, new heating, new plumbing, kitchen upgrade, bathroom upgrade, but save the charm of the old rooms. Right. Um, do we take down any of the moldings and do we take down any of the plaster? Um, for example, if the plaster is in good condition and the moldings are good, can we do a gut demo on the kitchen, all the bathrooms and a couple of select rooms? And will that give us access behind the walls to the living rooms or perhaps a fancy master bedroom so we can leave that plaster and trim work material intact? Oh, yeah. or, or does the geometry of the house not allow that? Um, you know, there are times when all of the plaster comes down, we right. have an open frame and we can, and we can, we can then, we can then spend a little bit less money because our plumber's going to charge us less, our electrician's going to charge us less, and our HVAC contractor's going to charge us less because we're giving them access or okay. do they want to bite the bullet and keep it. It's kind <laughs> yeah. of fun. So let's talk a little bit. You're talking about collaboration with the client and uh, so forth. And I joked a little bit in the intro about the hysterical commission. Do you have uh, people like the historical commission working with you? And how, how does that work? How do you collaborate with them in a way that, that you don't lose your shirt and they get what they want? How, do, how does that relationship work in a, in a, in a good way? Yeah, it, it does. It, it works. And, and it, and it hasn't, it hasn't really been that bad for us. And I, I think it might go back to um, the pre-qualifying process in the very beginning of the job. Um, you know, depending on what I can learn about what the homeowner's objectives are. Okay. Um, they, I might not feel as though we're, we're a, an appropriate fit for them because generally the Looking back over the projects that I've done in my career, um, the historical societies have always been cooperative and in favor of what we're doing because we're coming to them with a bunch of ideas that are really in line with what they like. And, you know, they, they're there to stop people from doing stuff that they don't like. And, and I think that during the pre-qualification process in my company, I don't end up teaming up with with those clients, the clients who want to do something that their neighbors or their community is going to feel is is ugly or something like that. So, right, right. So we don't. There's a lot of those stories in the industry about, <laughs> sure. oh my God, you know, we just got <laughs> hammered and it was a disaster every step of the way. And um, and I don't have that. As a matter of fact, the the recent job we just did, which is a net zero house in the suburbs of Boston. Um, we got a standing ovation from the historical commission at the end of our presentation. And they were like, man, I wish everybody would treat these houses the way you do. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like a, a marriage, if you will, in that if you know what the other person likes and you can give them that, then everything goes so much better than if you try to make them into something that they're not. That, is that a good way to look at it? It's exactly right. It's exactly right. You you get you marry the wrong person, it's just going to be bumps along the whole road. <laughs> For sure. So you, uh, Steve mentioned a, a bunch of different places that you've uh, worked on over the years, and uh, I hope you've had a little bit of time to think about this. But give us 
give us the story behind one of maybe your most delicate uh, restorations sure. yeah. Or, yeah. or the oldest one or the most fascinating one for you. Give us a little storyline about that. All right. Well, the one that comes to mind is Abigail Adams' birthplace because we got a little bit of everything in that project. We got invited in because they had old windows and they wanted to save them. And we know how okay. to do that. Hang on one second, and I hope I don't trip you up here, but for all the folks who may not know, who is Abigail Adams? So Abigail Adams was the wife of President John Adams. Cool. Okay. She lived in this house in Weymouth, Mass. She was born in this house, teeny little house. They met. uh, They got married in this house. Okay. And and so when I first walked up to the house, I was kind of – fascinated by that it's owned by a um by a society the abigail adams preservation society or something like that and uh i was i was pretty excited about the fact that there was some interesting history in here but i was also excited about the fact that there were a bunch of problems with the building (laughs) that needed fixing the foundation was not stable the windows were in bad need of repair um there had been a roof leak that had been left un, unresolved for a long period of time. And so there was some actual structural damage. So we got a little bit of everything in this project, uh, which made it fun. Um, it might not have been fun for the guy who had to tunnel underneath <laughs> the back L in order to dig footings for a new foundation. Right. Because that, that wasn't right when we got there and we couldn't disturb the floorboards from above because that material was sacred, can't touch the floorboards. Right. So from below, we actually snuck in some uh, some shovels, we dug some holes, we poured some footings, we brought in some beams, and we supported the structure of this back L um, from below. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then from above, the other, the other wild thing about this house was um, it had plaster walls, and we could not touch those plaster walls. But that roof leak had caused some significant rot in some of the main horizontal beams and some of the main vertical posts. And so we carefully removed the exterior trim, the exterior shingles, uh, and the sheathing. And we got access from that stuff from outside. Um, And then we did a, a repair in place of some structural beams by adding some, some sisters, uh, made out of wood, some epoxy material, um, some stainless steel fasteners and bolts, and we made a crumbling old post strong again and good enough for another couple hundred years. And then we we put the sheathing back on and the building paper and the siding back on, all the while, every now and then, poking in the door. Did we crack the plastic? <laughs> and we never so, did. So tell me, uh, I'm assuming the sheathing on this roof is like, one by 12 or one by yeah. how yeah. do you i mentioned the wainscoting earlier how do you guys get that off so that it goes back in all right well well there's two different ways okay and one of them is when you're talking sheathing and the other is when you're talking trim okay um, when you're talking sheathing it's okay to damage those boards a little bit around where the nail holes were so you okay. can use a cat's paw okay you can go in there with a cat's paw and pull it out Okay. Um, on a piece of trim, uh, Wayne Scott, uh, you know, casing. A lot of times we have to remove casing because we're repairing plaster around an old window. We'll take that window casing off, 
we'll repair that plaster and we'll put that same window casing back on. So with finished trim, uh, it's a simple trick. Um, you use a, a metal dowel. Um, it, it's, it's similar to a nail set, but whereas the tip of a nail set is tapered, this is called a drift pin. I don't know if you're familiar with a drift pin. I think it's a tool from, from another industry, perhaps metalworking, but Maybe. it's like a nail set and the tip is not tempered, tapered. It's the same diameter. Okay. You get a drift pin that's say three eighths, one eighth, one quarter. And so you pick a drift that's the side of the size of the head of the nail. Okay. That you that you that's in your way that you don't like and you want that nail gone. You send that nail through to the oh. other side with the drift pin, and then the piece comes off, and you have a nice little hole everywhere where there, there was a nail, which is very easy to repair later on. As opposed to if you go after that thing with a pry bar, if you go, you know, you can't go into it with a cat's paw. Right. Um, you could go at it with a flat bar from the side, but you're going to damage the side, and the edges of a piece of window casing are fully visible all the way up and down. Right. And the so plaster and the plaster too. You're oh, yeah. going to damage that. You send oh, that's... those little nails through with a drift and you're done. Oh, that's really cool. All right. I'm in the business, man. Watch out. Now you I know. <laughs> now I know what that random uh, large nail set I have is. It's a drift <laughs> it So Walter, um, how do you structure your feeds? It would, it would strike me that this type of thing is relatively uncertain. It would be very difficult, I would think, to come up with a fixed price. True, I'm not. True, I'm true. not asking you to reveal your pricing structure. I'm just true, asking, true. like, how do you price these things so that you make sure you make some money? Because we're in this business yeah. to make money, but also then to restore old houses. Happy to share that with you. Um, and you're right. Um, you, 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 it would be, it, it would be, I would say impossible, but then again, you know, that word isn't in my vocabulary, right. but it, yeah, would be, it can't be for what you do. <laughs> wicked hard, wicked hard. There you go. Wicked hard. <laughs> to, to, to actually forecast with certainty how much a project is going to cost. Right. Um, and uh, so, so I can't guess and get it right, but I can look at past projects of similar size and come up with a ballpark. Okay. And I'll talk to my client about that. And if they're comfortable with the ballpark, then we can move forward on a time and materials basis. Okay. And, um, and I'll, and, and, and I'll put together um, a spreadsheet of a complete budget forecast. Um, and then, and then we charge by the hour and we have a markup. Um, it is scary to do that for, for, for many customers um, one thing that I've been trying the last few years that's been successful is I've, I've made my fee, my markup fee, a fixed dollar amount. So if we think a project's going to cost $100,000 and my markup's 15%, then 15000 is my fee. And if the thing comes in at 90 or if the thing comes in at 110, um, I don't get any extra. So the customer doesn't see me as incentivized for okay. this budget to just creep up, up, up. Um, now it doesn't really make them completely safe. They don't know <laughs> how much they're gonna spend in the end, but it does right. help them during the sales process, feeling a little bit about, better about me as a general contractor. Our industry 
has a bad reputation with some people. And, um, and that little trick I got from a friend of mine and it's been helpful for my clients. Wow. So what it, you, you just mentioned the sales process. So just again, what is your process? Do you have like a design contract that an upfront agreement contract where you get X amount for X amount for doing all this planning? So just kind of, kind of walk us through that if you will. Our, our design agreement has the, has the exact same terms as our construction agreement. And with our repeat clients, we just sign one contract and it goes the whole way. But okay. And then with new clients, if they don't really want to bite the whole bullet, they'll they'll sign a mini version of our contract and that'll take us up to a certain point. And, I'm, and I, I refer to it as phase one and phase two. At okay. the end of phase one, we've done some demo. We've had the, the subcontractors through. We've opened things up. We've gone through all of the permitting and everything with the town. We know what the constraints are from the town. We know what the building has. And we take that original ballpark budget um, and we revise it. So we now have a forecast uh, that's that's more accurate. The first one was a, was, was a ballpark. The second one is actually a pretty educated guess as to what we're going to do. Um, and then, uh, and I do have uh, either an architect or someone in-house who can draw make a drawing of this building. If there isn't an architect already on the project, right. we have to get one in. So we have that communication tool. Uh, so the whole team knows what we're doing and where we're doing it. Um, so we've got a set of drawings. We've got a revised budget um, that has a, a, a lot of different individual numbers in it for the different stages of the work. Right. And then we've got a written scope of work and we've got fixed price contracts with our subcontractors. Um, typically we will open the building up enough so that the electrician and the plumber, they know exactly what they're, what they're, what they're in for. And they are comfortable giving us a fixed price contract. Okay. They can do good work and they can make a living. Um, what one, one of my catchphrases is question marks equals dollar signs. <laughs> and, and, and I, I, I want to provide something to my clients, which is, we're going to come in first and we're going to remove the question marks. You, we bring an HVAC guy through here and he says, what's behind that wall and what's above that ceiling. He's not going to be able to with confidence, give us a competitive price for the work that we want from him. So we'll make a, make a, we'll remove the whole ceiling or we'll make an access hole up there. And when he comes through and says, what's behind that wall and what's above that ceiling, we say, jump up here on the step ladder <laughs> and you'll see exactly what it is. So we do get, so we are time and materials in that our staff is working on an hourly basis, but we are able to get a little bit of a hybrid contract because our subcontracts are fixed price. So give us a little rundown about your staff. What, how do you structure this? It seems like this would be a hard business to use like all subcontract carpenters and that's a good point. You know, yeah. Something yeah. like, so what, what is your staff like in-house? So the carpenters that I've hired over the years um, are guys like me. Uh, they're passionate about it. They enjoy it. And they like the challenge. Okay. Um, and, and that's that's not every carpenter will be drawn to that aspect of our industry. Right. Um, but there are plenty of them who are. And, and uh, those are the guys that I like to team up with. And so, so they... 
their their sort of their head is 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 more or less right where mine is in terms of tackling this uh, this challenge, right, you know, right, and 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 solving this puzzle, and um, and part of the gratification for them is um, is the same gratification for anybody. We we build something with our hands, we solve problems with our heads, um, but another sort of added benefit is it also really gives us something for the heart which is saving something old. Yeah. So, you know, so we do, we do get that gratification. Um, and then another fun thing about working in old buildings is there's this mystery that kind of gets solved over the course of the project. The first day we walk in, um, it's like, now why the heck would that be there? It just makes right. no sense at yeah, all. Yeah. But then through the project, we take something apart and then we realize, Oh, I see there used to be a door right here. So that makes that makes perfect sense. And so there's this like story that kind of unfolds through a project and that happens a lot for us. And, uh, and that's kind yeah. of fun. Yeah. So I mentioned this contractor in Lexington and he, th- just reflecting on that, he said they were working on this project and they found that a staircase had been removed and then they found the entire staircase in the attic nice. and they, uh, they had to make a couple of pieces, but they were able to put that thing back, back. because they had put it in the attic. That is fantastic. That's fantastic. <laughs> Walter, you mentioned, that, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Well, no. let me just, one quick yeah. point. When we're taking stuff apart, leave it in the attic. <laughs> leave it in the attic, because some future is going to love that. Yes. You mentioned the uh, energy efficient homes, and is that something, you know, and I guess the question is around the municipalities, around the inspections, and how does that go when you have a, You've got multiple inspections. Is that through the building commission and the historical society? And then no, no, the historical societies they 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 basically they approve the plan at the very beginning, and then they don't play a role um, unless someone um, someone sees you doing something that that you did that you said you weren't going to do. Okay. Um, so so really, once once you get that approval. It's one signature on a letter from the historical society or the historical commission is what it's usually called. Yeah. Um, and that, uh, and that allows the building inspector to, um, to, to give the permit. And, uh, and we never hear from them again, unless, unless we do something wrong. Yeah. And, and no, that's, that makes sense. So the energy efficiency, is that more, is that something that you suggest require? I know based on geography, um, and, or is that just a trend that people are really trying to do with the old homes? It's, it's something that I'm personally passionate about. Yeah. Um, I'm a, you know, I'm a member of the Northeast Sustainable Energy Association. I'm a bit of a tree hugger. Um, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm in favor of, you know, my, my philosophy is this. Uh, what are we? Is, let's say 50 years from now in 2070, most of the buildings that we are going to be living with in in 2070 are, are here right now today. You know, we're not going to build them all new. Most of right. those buildings are here and we're stewards of those buildings. And so what should I be doing and what should I be encouraging my clients to do? So I encourage my clients to, um, to upgrade that stuff. And if they're on board with it, we will, um, it, you know, we have a building, we, you know, the international building code is, is what our municipalities follow. And, um, and, and, and I, uh, humorously refer to a, a, a code built home, a home that's, that's, that's built or remodeled within um, the rules of the building code is the worst 
building allowed by law. <laughs> so, so if you want to, if you want your home to be the worst building allowed by law, then we'll build it to code. But, uh, but if you want to do something a little more, we know how to do that. You know, yeah, we're okay. into it. Yes. And we, and we have some, some, uh, consultants that can help us get it right. And, uh, and we can do something a little bit better. You answered that yeah. perfectly. Yeah, that was fantastic. So I have another question about employees, and this is okay. this may be putting you on the spot a little bit. Okay. But have you ever had a new guy or gal go out there and they weren't supposed to tear out the plaster and you showed up and it was just torn to pieces? Yeah. You've had that? Yeah. yeah. Any yeah. story Any story to tell like that? I don't know. Let's see. I'm not sure if I have a good one. I mean, there's okay. the, it reminds me of the story where the – where the bathroom remodeler gave his demo guy the wrong address. Uh, I've, the, I've, I know some people that have done that. That's not just a story. Yeah. But no, for, for us. Yeah, we have, we have, uh, we have done. Okay. Here's one. We, we did, we took off some wainscoting with some very small moldings associated with it. And we had all the parts at the end of the day, we had all the parts except for one and it was less than six inches long. Oh wow, we t- we emptied the dumpster. Oh we no, did the entire dumpster, and we found it. You found it. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. We emptied a full fifteen-yard dumpster <laughs> on the driveway, and we found it. Oh my. Okay, yeah. so as we're wrapping up here, Walter, this has been amazing. I I am just uh, excited, so excited about this. I really appreciate you being it's here. It's fun. It's fun. I like this. I'm, I'm lucky yeah. to, to have the job I have. So any, if anybody wanted to get into this kind of thing, is there some education that you would recommend or some, uh, like a trade association or magazines or something like that, that you'd recommend? Sure. Well, the, the way I, the way I got into it was reading old house journal. And I think that that magazine is still in existence. Um, and then, uh, and then the journal of light construction was what helped me the business side. But, um, but most of the people in, in, in our industry in general and most of the people in the historic aspect of our industry are learning on the job. Okay. That's, the, that's the vast majority. I personally did go to a vocational school, and I think that and, – and there are opportunities for formal training. Uh, the one that I went to is in Boston. happens to be the oldest vocational school in America. It's called the North Bennett Street School. And that has a two-year intensive class just on – preservation carpentry and oh uh, wow i learned a lot from that but um you know it's it there's there's no substitution for learning in the real world and to be able to get a job with a company like mine a company that cares um (laughs) you know you can get an internship or you can get a job with that company and you can earn while you learn so there's those two tracks i think are kind of equal in value Uh um although very different. You can learn it. I learned it quicker by getting the formal training because right. in 24 months, I got a month of this specialty and a month of that. And we did paint, we did plaster, we did timber frame, we did floors, we did roofs, we did slate. You know, we got a little bit of everything. Whereas someone who's learning from me and my company, they're going to, they might learn how to slate roof for six months when really after about six days, I was good with it. this has been so fantastic i really really appreciate you taking some time and sharing some of this wisdom with us it it's just it's just exciting 
Oh, it's a pleasure. It was really a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thanks so much, Walter. Take care. Take care. Tim, another great show. That was awesome. <laughs> I love talking to Walter. I uh, could probably talk to him a lot longer. I say that all the time, but it's true. I love that talking about old houses, the nerd in me comes through. It's great. Yeah, yeah I I was just excited about his word for coming into a house that had been remodeled, <laughs> but not very well. He called it remodeled. Yeah. And I, I thought I wrote that down right away. I said, that's really cool. I am just really inquisitive about this thing that welds glass back oh, together. Yeah. I just, I'm, I'm, you know, all these kinds of things are what makes a company like his uh, work in the arena that they want to work in is knowing these kinds of things are, are, is just so impressive. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, and versus a normal, you know, if you're working on a house from 1970, because in Wilmington, Delaware, where I was, you would have a house from 1910 or you would go over the next week and you'd be in 1990 and you'd love the fact that there was newer two by fours and and uh, normal wiring and, and drywall. But um, I think, you know, it's when you do make that transition and during that demo phase, if you do lose a little tiny bit of trim, then you're, I mean, you're yeah. searching the country or you're having to have somebody make it. It's just, you know, I mean, Walter's fully on that side. I was kind of back and forth like I think you were. So, but he really knows how to do it well. And I'm really intrigued by the um, energy efficiency that he promotes uh, within these homes. Yeah, he he certainly has a great thing going. As I mentioned in my intro, I, I was fortunate enough to visit with the company some many years ago, and uh, they certainly have dialed into what they want to do. Yeah. Well, once again, we would like to thank Walter BB Center for joining us today. And we'd like to thank you for listening to another episode of The Tim Fowler Show. And remember, on The Tim Fowler Show, we're working hard to eliminate it is what it is from your vocabulary. This has been another episode of The Tim Fowler Show. Want to hire Tim and fast track your growth? Visit remodelersadvantage.com slash consulting to learn more. And if you'd like more information about Roundtables, our world-class peer advisory program, please send me an email at steve at remodelersadvantage.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.